Our lesson today is returning 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. The memory verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. God holds all people accountable for their actions is our aim today. Jesus is coming back. Ready or not, Jesus is coming back. Do you feel sometimes like you live in a surveillance state? I think one of the things that we all recognize when we're checking into the news and we're looking at things that are happening is that someone can be caught off guard simply because they didn't realize that there was a camera rolling. Uh, we know that there's been different situations where criminals have had the bad experience of being caught because of a red light camera that caught their picture as they went through a red light or a camera at a nearby home seeing them pass by and suddenly the surveillance of that causes them to be caught. And so today we're thinking about the idea that with Jesus returning, our sinful human nature is full of examples of us just having a little mischief because we think for some reason that we won't get caught. That's what happens when we think no one is looking. But we do understand all of our lives that people are always looking. That's why tests are proctored. You can remember your teacher walking around the room with watchful eyes while you were taking a test. And then if she noticed that you were looking at another paper, there would be a remedy. The modern day version of that is the accountability that comes when we've realized that we're getting a ticket from a red light camera, just as I was explaining before. One of my very handsome grandsons yielded to the temptation of acting out a little bit when the teacher had asked the class to be very, very quiet while she spoke to a visitor. However, a young lady in the class tempted him and asked him to do a little dance, and he in his mischief, cooperated with that. But oh, how ashamed he was when he was caught in that act. And the shame was felt and was long-lasting. So when the cat's away, the mice will play, out of sight, out of mind. But we definitely understand that our humanity is subject to the opportunity of sin. So when we know we're being observed, we're more careful with our behavior. And maybe that's one of the things that God has done in our time is allowing us to be surveilled so much, we begin to be aware more of our behavior. Judgment is coming. It requires us to face the fact of human propensity to sin and that we're being watched by God of the universe. He understands and knows every thought and action. Because God is omniscient. God has the capacity to know everything. He has complete maximum knowledge. 
Of that omniscience, along with his goodness, is the divine attribute that encourages all of our hearts. Because he is omniscient, he knows yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The state of knowing everything allows God to be sovereign over his creation of all things, visible and invisible. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all omniscient. And the Bible tells us that he knows when a sparrow falls or when we lose even one single hair. Psalm 139.4 says he knows our thoughts even before we speak forth. He knows our hearts from afar. He saw us in the womb, Psalm 139 says. Acts 1 and 24 in the prayer of the apostles, they acknowledge, Lord, you know everyone's heart. In the gospel accounts, there's a record of Jesus knowing the thoughts of those he spoke to. And he told the woman at the well about her five husbands. He told the disciples Lazarus was dead when they were 25 miles away. Omniscience makes nothing too hard for God. He knew us before we were born and he provides for our sin. Yes, he sees us. He sees us all the time. We can't hide from him. We fool ourselves when we think we can sin in private. God designed us in his image and we need relationship with him. And like Adam and Eve in the garden, we make excuses, but our sin is exposed by our Lord. God sees me. It makes justice that God sees all. He is the person that can see everything that we do. We see in the Bible in Genesis the story of Hagar, the maidservant of Sarah. And she calls Jesus, calls out to God the name of God being God sees me. Because she's comforted that God saw her in her despair as she was exiled and, and told to leave with her son. God is omniscient. It is justice that God sees us all. He is also omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. Psalms 139, 7 through 10, David writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Jonah found it was too hard to escape from God. As much as he tried to go the farthest away from where the will of God would have him, he found himself speaking out of the depths of despair in the middle of the well's belly. If it's not enough that God is omniscient and he's omnipresent, he's also omnipotent. He has power over all things at all times in all ways. That was evident at creation. God spoke and it was so. Psalms 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Jesus showed the power of God in raising Lazarus. In calming the storms, miraculous healings, and the feeding of thousands, Jesus shares that power because 
the resurrection places his power in us. And then finally, God is also justice. Acts 10.34 says, God shows no partiality. Psalms 89.4, justice and righteousness, which were always hand in hand, are the foundation of God's throne. Since we were made in God's image, we have his heart in the matters of morality, courage, love, and justice. 1 John 4.16, God is complete love. Psalms 106 verse 1, God is complete goodness. Psalm 25.10, God is complete kindness. And Isaiah 61.8, God is complete justice. When Adam and Eve sinned, justice could not overlook it. God of the universe was defied by the dust he had formed in man and woman. It was high treason against the Creator, and justice demanded a penalty. Because God is also love, He decided to provide a substitute to bear the consequence of our sin. A beautiful, flawless lamb was killed. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, Justice was satisfied once and for all because God allowed His Son to be the substitute for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for our sins once and for all, the just, the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Without God's justice, sin reigns unchecked. Evil would even be more evil. It would be without justice. God wants us to act justly, Micah 6.8. So yes, God is watching We've always had a surveillance state. It's not anything new. It's a beautiful concept, though. He sees us. He is just, and therefore there is judgment to those who do not accept his plan of salvation. And so that's where we start today in our scripture. So we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 3. About the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. These verses are verses of warning Following Paul's reveal that believers that are alive when Christ returns will meet those who have died as they came back with Jesus, he now addresses the times and the seasons in regard to the day of the Lord's return. When Jesus first came, he announced in Mark 1.15 that the time is fulfilled. The first coming of Jesus was not just, was just at the right time in human history. Jesus uses the word keros to refer to the end times in Matthew 13, verse 30. The coming judgment is referred to as a harvest time. The church at Thessalonica knew that Jesus would come at any time, and Paul wanted them to live with the practical challenge that that represents. Because it will be so sudden, it will be like a thief in the night. There will be no time left to prepare the unsaved. The day of the Lord offers blessing to God's people, but dread to those who neglect to repent of their sin. 
Verse 3 says that there will be groups who will fall to complacency. They will ignore all the evidence of God. They lean into the world system and they feel protection by the government and the ideas accepted by the culture. They ignore the message of good news as superstitious or for those uneducated. They see the results of evil, but they refuse to believe in sin and right and wrong affecting human behaviors as something that can be healed and changed with obedience to the precepts of holy God. Much like the world ignored that the Russians were amassing troops on the Ukrainian borders in the past several years and that early spring this year they had really begun to pile the troops up and make their plans. The signs of the day of the Lord will be just like that. They will get closer and closer and it will be ignored. And surprise, just like the day came that Putin started a war, then it will be suddenly close to time. Jesus' return is inevitable. Paul said it's like a pregnant woman and labor starts. Now, I teach pregnant women about labor, and it's very comforting to them when I explain to them that they will not be pregnant forever. There is an end, and it normally is somewhere between 37 and 42 weeks. And I teach them how to discern and determine when the time comes that they should come to the hospital to have the baby. But it's not really like that for those who reject Jesus because it will be a sudden, sudden time. It'll be a time of destruction and there will be no escape. There have been reports out of Ukraine of those who became oblivious to the threat of invasion and how shocked and unprepared they were. Similarly, these same stories came out of Afghanistan as the Americans that stayed suddenly could not see the warning signs and then they were caught in the midst of the Taliban takeover. And it was sudden doom and they were in a hostile place. So warning, warning, we need to tell our world that the day of the Lord is near. Just like in the days of Noah, people were going about the affairs of life. There was people getting married. There were people having babies. There was world people doing their work. Jesus tells the story in the gospel of the man who built a new house, new barns to hold all the stuff he had, only to find at the end of his days had come to an end. Yes, he had many, many barns, but he had no more time to enjoy them. None of us know the day and the hour of the Lord, and none of us know we have even our next breath. So our job needs to be to help people get saved. And that takes us to our next scripture, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. Be alert. We are children of the light. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. 
and he separated light from the darkness, and light is associated with God. Light is the way we can actually see, and it allows us to see the dirt in our world. The sin of our lives is exposed in light. Paul is contrasting those who love God or children of light to those who remain in darkness that Jesus referred to in John's gospel as the light that shines into the darkness. John 1 verses 4 through 5. Though the darkness did not comprehend him, God, Jesus called himself the light of the world in John 8, 12. Darkness and light are mutually exclusive because darkness is not possible when light invades. The Old Testament revealed the Shekinah glory of God and Moses would shine when he had been in the presence of God. The angels would also be brightly described in bright light because they had come from the presence of God. So spiritually, God's light invades us and pushes us out of the darkness. He transforms us and we become children of light. Because we are the light, we are to be alert, not lazy and sleeping. Now, centuries watch their posts. We're to stay awake. We're to be self-controlled. Our lives are supposed to be lived in the life and look very different from those living in darkness. Those living in darkness with drunkenness, sloth, weariness, rejection of God. We should look very different from them. Paul reminds us that the armor that we need is the armor of faith and love, which protects our vital organ, the heart. He also says we need the helmet of hope of salvation to keep our minds stayed on him. So when you are mindful, when your mind is focused on God, you're alert, you're thinking about him, you're protecting your heart by believing him, and you're keeping your love that flows straight from the Father out to the, uh, to the others in the world. And that's also going to protect your heart. The helmet of our hope is that our, we know our salvation. <clears throat> we know we're saved. We know we're safe, but we want to take people with us. We want to share our salvation. So we finish then with 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. We have a way out of God's wrath. His wrath is the just response to our sin. But God made a way for us. He gave a son to die for us. So, sadly, God's wrath can be a comfort to us, but it can be a sad, difficult thing for others to understand. So, we end where we began. We know that we are challenged each day. That we're supposed to be accountable to God for our actions and that he's watching us. We don't know when the doctor will give us a bad report, the trip will end in a deadly wreck, or a storm will remove us suddenly from this earth. But just as certain as uncertainty is, Jesus is good news to those who heed the call to repentance. Paul says, be encouraged. 
build each other up. If you live to die, you will be mindful that those you encounter will die too. And you will want to share with them as you love one another. You will share the good news. Let's take time every day to remember to take people with us to heaven. So as a saved person, God sees me. Not to judge me, but to nudge me by his Holy Spirit. He nudges me to turn around. He nudges me to stop. He nudges me to remember, to do good, to be kind, to reach out and love, to be sincere. God sees the things I do for him. He says, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I'm in a storm, he sees me. He's in the storm with me. And like a parent with a watchful eye, yes, there will be redirection. He redirects us all the time. But the point is, just like a parent, he will weep in there and correct us, redirect us, and get, our, get his endangered child out of trouble. That's what God does for me because he sees me. So I hope that you will focus in and tune in to God's omniscience, to his attribute of omnipresence, and to his attribute of omnipotence. He is all-knowing. He is always with us. And he is all-powerful. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this lesson that you gave the church in Thessalonica and that you give us. Yes, you are returning and we need to be preparing our world for that sudden time that you will suddenly come and it will be our joy, but we want to bring others to have that joy as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.